Welcome back to General Zen Napoleon, episode 18, Marshal Bernadotte, Prince of Pontecorvo and eventually King of Sweden. As Napoleon once said, quote, I can only say that Bernadotte let me down. He became sort of a Swede, but he had never promised or declared an intention to stay true. I can therefore accuse him of ingratitude but not of treason." End quote. Of all the marshals, the one who never fell under the spell of Napoleon's charisma was Bernadotte. An infamous fence-sitter, Bernadotte's shrewdness paid off with a dynasty that lasts to this day as his descendants are still on the throne of Sweden. He was similar to Napoleon in many respects. He was raised in a middle-class family with a lawyer for a father. He was a talented de general and deft politician, and the two men even dated the same girl who eventually became Bernadotte's wife, Desiree Clary. But the two men rarely got along with each other. This was probably because they were both clever opportunists. Bernadotte's story also contains a fine example of how kindness without expectation of reward can sometimes lead to great things. Jean-Baptiste Bernadotte was born on January 26, 1763, in the Gascony region of France. He was the youngest of five children, born to Henri Bernadotte, a lawyer, and his wife, Jean. At the death of his father, young Bernadotte steered away from a career in law and instead enlisted in the army in 1780. There's a story that the recruiting sergeant in Bernadotte's hometown let the teenager try on his uniform coat to see how sharp it looked on him. Of course, the recruiting sergeant declared it looked great and he was sending him onward to become Marshal of France. How right he was. Unfortunately, Bernadotte spent the next nine years bored in garrison duty around a number of towns in France. He was promoted to corporal in 1785 and finally to sergeant in 1788. He also received the nickname of Sergeant Pretty Legs due to his dandy appearance. Physically, he was tall, lean, with thick black hair and a fine beak of a nose. He was described as generous, ambitious, and impetuous, but always with an eye on pushing his own fortunes. In 1789, he and his troops were sent to Marseille to put down civil unrest there. During this time, he requested to be billeted in the home of a wealthy merchant named Francois Clary, who had two daughters. One would marry a Bonaparte, and the other would marry Bernadotte. More on the latter relationship in a bit. Once the French Revolution started, promotion came fast and furious for Bernadotte. In 1791, he was promoted to the officer ranks as lieutenant after 11 years in the army. In May 1793, he took part in his first major battle. The following year, he was promoted to captain and then to colonel a few months later. He had a knack for rallying defeated or retreating soldiers. In one battle during this time, 
he ripped off his officer epaulets from his uniform and told his retreating men, quote, If you dishonor yourselves by flight, I refuse to remain your colonel. End quote. In June 1794, Bernadotte proved his mettle in the Battle of Fleurice. He directed an attack against a wooded area teeming with Austrian soldiers and pushed them out, helping to secure the win for the French. After his attack at Fleurice, he was compelled to accept promotion by General Kleber, who rode up to him and said, quote, You must accept the grade of General of Brigade here on the field of battle, where you have so truly earned it. If you refuse, you are no friend of mine. End quote. A few months later, he was promoted again to General of Division at the young age of 31. In November 1794, he was made military governor of Maastricht in the Netherlands and learned how to be an efficient administrator. He enforced strict rules on his men and forbade looting. He also didn't tolerate indiscipline or poor behavior in his troops. Throughout 1795 and 1796, Bernadotte gained a lofty reputation amongst his soldiers who referred to him as, quote, the god of armies. End quote, due to his courage and handsome appearance. In 1796, he drove his troops into Germany to fight off the Austrians. The Austrians were part of the first coalition attempting to end the French Revolution. In August 1796, Bernadotte, although outnumbered three to one, fought Archduke Charles to a standstill. Facing 28,000 enemy troops, Bernadotte inspired his 9,000 soldiers with the following statement, quote, You know, my friends, what care I have always taken of your welfare, since I had the happiness of commanding such brave fellows as yourselves. The opportunity now presents itself of testifying your grateful sense of it, of deserving well of your country, and of covering yourselves with glory, end quote. After this tactical withdrawal, Bernadotte and his 20,000 troops were ordered to reinforce a young up-and-coming general named Napoleon down in Italy. In February 1797, he and his troops made the difficult trek over the Alps and arrived to their new posting. Almost immediately, there was friction between Napoleon and Bernadotte. Both had lofty ambitions and both recognized that the other man would become an impediment to these goals. General Bernadotte was also accustomed to the adulation of his men. So when an even brighter star attracted them, he was perturbed. Another point of contention was Bernadotte's arrest of Colonel Dupuy, who was Napoleon's commander in Milan. Bernadotte had given the colonel an order but the colonel replied that he only answered to Napoleon and was placed under arrest by Bernadotte. This greatly annoyed both Napoleon and his chief of staff, Berthier, who was friends with the colonel. This began a long-running feud between Berthier and Bernadotte. It was said Bernadotte even challenged Berthier to a duel on two occasions. But Napoleon and Bernadotte both needed each other, and put aside their differences and their subsequent operations in Italy. In March 1797, 
Bernadotte led the right wing of Napoleon's army over a raging river and even rescued two men who were swept away in the current. He and his troops went on to capture the town of Gradisca, which was well fortified by the enemy Austrians. Afterward, he was chided by Napoleon for not waiting for support troops before launching his assault. Bernadotte raged, saying, quote, I see it all. He is jealous of me and wants to disgrace me. If I blockaded Gradisca, I shall be blamed for not having stormed it. If I storm it, I shall be told I ought to have blockaded it, end quote. In April of 1797, peace was declared, and a few months later, Bernadotte returned to Paris. The following year was to be an eventful one for Bernadotte. First, he was appointed ambassador to Austria, the country France had just humbled in war. It was a difficult appointment, but Bernadotte made things worse by hoisting the French tricolor above his embassy. This was upsetting to the Vienna citizens who saw the flag as representative of the country that had beheaded the Austrian Archduchess Marie Antoinette just five years earlier. Soon a mob arrived and the group tore down the flag and destroyed the embassy. Bernadotte gave up his post as ambassador soon after and returned to Paris. That same year, he also married Desiree Clary, former girlfriend and fiance of Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon had jilted her once he met Josephine. Desiree's sister, Julie Clary, was married to Napoleon's brother, Joseph. So Bernadotte became part of the inner circle through marriage. This marriage also gave Bernadotte a partner who hated Napoleon with equal vitriol. But Napoleon maintained a soft spot in his heart for Desiree, which later probably saved Bernadotte's hide on a number of occasions. In 1799, Bernadotte was made Minister of War. He brought along his administrative skills and political bargaining to make the most of the position. After some hiccups due to a bankrupt government, he performed well in the role. Indeed, he performed so well in assembling conscripts and supplies that his power made the government nervous, and he was later removed from office. Also in 1799, Bernadotte and Desiree welcomed a son, Oscar, whose name was allegedly recommended to Desiree by Napoleon. Later that year, Napoleon returned from Egypt. Bernadotte unsuccessfully tried to get him arrested for desertion of his Egyptian army. He also refused to join an official dinner to welcome back Napoleon because the returning hero from Egypt skipped quarantine and Bernadotte refused to break bread with a possibly plague-ridden general. Napoleon was too busy to notice Bernadotte's gasconades as he was carefully aligning like-minded generals to make a coup for power. As much as Bernadotte despised Napoleon and the idea of a dictatorship, he knew better than to throw his lot on the wrong side. When Napoleon assembled his supporting generals, he called all of them to a meeting to confirm their loyalty. All showed up in the uniforms of a general, except for Bernadotte, who came in civilian clothes. 
he was careful not to be implicated in this military coup in case it failed. Despite Bernadotte's inertia, Napoleon's coup was successful, and he wasn't interfered with by his rival. In return, Napoleon showered him with rewards and appointed him as commander of the armies in western France. The crafty Bernadotte immediately went to work and succeeded where others had failed by putting down the Vendée insurrection. In 1802, Napoleon looked for ways to get rid of the eternal thorn in his side. He was named governor of Louisiana and was ready to embark across the pond. But Bernadotte kept delaying the voyage for want of more supplies, funding, and troops. Finally, his appointment was made unnecessary when Napoleon sold the Louisiana Territory to the United States in 1803. In 1804, the Republican Bernadotte was on the list of the original 18 Marshals of the Empire. This new laurel made him briefly happy, and he acquired a lovely estate with his wealth. But, of course, he wanted more. He complained openly that he didn't have enough money to maintain this estate. Napoleon, on hearing this, exclaimed, quote, Take from the public treasury enough to put this right. I want Bernadotte to be content. He is just beginning to say he is full of attachment for my person. This may attach him more, end quote. In June of 1805, Napoleon again shipped Bernadotte away from Paris by naming him governor of the recently acquired Hanover Territory in Germany. Again, Bernadotte did well in an administrative role and added to his reputation for courtesy, moderation, and incorruptibility. Later that year, Bernadotte's troops were organized into First Corps for the proposed invasion of England. It is notable that Napoleon rarely gave Bernadotte command of French troops. His troops in 1807 were Poles, in 1808 a combination of Dutch and Spaniards, and in 1809 Poles and Saxons. This may have been in response to Napoleon's spy network, which implicated Bernadotte in several plots against the emperor. Still, in December of 1805, Bernadotte and his corps assisted with Napoleon's victory at Austerlitz. As a reward for services rendered, Bernadotte was made Prince of Pontecorvo, which was a town within the Italian Papal States. Napoleon explained the appointment in a letter to his brother Joseph, who was King of Naples at the time. Quote, when I gave the title of Prince to Bernadotte, it was in consideration of you, for I have in my armies many generals who have served me better and on whose attachment I can count more. But I thought it proper that the brother-in-law of the Queen of Naples should hold a distinguished position in your country. End quote. Marshal Davout complained about Bernadotte's lack of energy in the pursuit of the enemy at Austerlitz and henceforth referred to him as, quote, the miserable Ponte Corvo, end quote. It wouldn't be the last time Davout and Bernadotte crossed swords. At the 1806 duel battle of Jena Auerstadt, Bernadotte came dangerously close to a court-martial and firing squad for not supporting Davout at Auerstadt. The night before the battle, 
Davu visited Bernadotte in his camp and made it clear he expected support from his corps against the Prussians. Bernadotte, who didn't like taking orders from anyone, including the emperor, dismissed him curtly. Davu, who received a vaguely worded order from Chief of Staff Berthier that said, quote, if the Prince of Pontecorvo, Bernadotte, is with you, you might both march together, but the emperor hopes that he will be in the position which has been indicated at Dornberg, end quote. The words might march together are the key phrases left to interpretation by historians. Bernadotte saw Davout's order from Berthier and followed it to the letter by marching his corps towards Dornberg. No doubt he heard the cannons from Auerstadt, but opted not to support Davout as he fought against 60,000 Prussians with his small corps of 24,000 troops. Against all odds, Davu won that battle and cemented his reputation as an extremely talented independent commander. Perhaps it was better for Davu's career that Bernadotte never showed up. It made his stand at Auerstadt all the more impressive. After Bernadotte's failure to support Davu at Auerstadt, Napoleon remarked, quote, The matter is so hateful. If I send him before a court-martial, it will be the equivalent of ordering him to be shot. I shall take care that he shall know what I think of his behavior. End quote. Stung by criticism, Bernadotte redeemed himself in the famed pursuit of the three marshals, in which he, Murat, and Soult relentlessly pursued and harassed the retreating Prussians. Bernadotte was praised by Napoleon when he, aided by Soult and Murat, forced Blücher to surrender with 25,000 men and all the Prussian artillery at Lübeck. While at Lübeck, Bernadotte's generosity to a captured Swedish division of troops was to pay handsome dividends. The marshal went out of his way to be kind and generous to all wounded soldiers, prisoners, and civilians of the occupied territories. Apparently, the Swedes were impressed by his moderation and professionalism, and this reputation was spread throughout Sweden by these troops who Bernadotte allowed to return home. Their commanding officer was a Swedish count named Colonel Morner, who would later play a prominent part in nominating the marshal to the throne of Sweden. In the meantime, Bernadotte was back at the front lines in 1807 against the Russians but missed the bloody battle of Eilau. He was almost fatally wounded in the neck by a musket ball at a battle in Spanden, and his corps suffered a setback. His wife, Desiree, took a risky trek to the front to help nurse him back to health. During his convalescence, Napoleon appointed him governor of the Hanseatic towns. With the awarding of princedoms and dukedoms by Napoleon, the jealousies of the marshals remain active during this time. In 1808, Bernadotte learned that Marshal Davu had been intercepting and reading his letters and threatened to horsewhip him. But again, his conduct in administrating Denmark and the Hanseatic towns was exemplary. 
and his conduct was noted again by the Swedes. In 1809, Bernadotte returned to the lines at the Battle of Wagram, where he led a corps of Saxons. Before the battle started, he was boasting to his subordinates that he would induce the Austrians, under Archduke Charles, to surrender with a scientific maneuver without firing a single shot. Of course, this nonsensical statement made its way to Napoleon's ears. During the battle, his Saxons were battered and pushed back in a stiff fight with the Austrians, and soon went into full-flight retreat. As Bernadotte was trying to rally his troops, Napoleon and his staff rode up. The emperor, clearly displeased, chided Bernadotte, quote, Is that the scientific maneuver by which you are going to make Archduke Charles lay down his arms? End quote. Napoleon had finally had enough of his scheming and bungling. Quote, I hereby remove you from command of the corps, which you have handled so badly. Leave my presence immediately and quit the Grand Armée within 24 hours, end quote. Bernadotte did as ordered and returned to Paris, but his services were needed almost as soon as he arrived. The British had sent an invasion force into the Netherlands to open up a second front against Napoleon's empire. Bernadotte cobbled together a response force of 20,000 troops, and he was dispatched to engage the British at Flushing. This marshy area was prone to malaria and typhus, and Bernadotte surrounded the 39,000 British troops and simply held them in position. Disease, bad weather, and a few skirmishes did the rest. 4,000 British troops died, but only 106 of them from battle. After a few months, the British withdrew and returned to England, and Bernadotte again looked like a conquering hero. He was the only marshal, other than Brune, to defeat the English. In 1810, there was a crisis of throne inheritance in Sweden. King Charles XIII was old and sickly, with no children to be his heir. The Swedes, looking at the map of Europe dominated by Napoleon, sought to have a Frenchman installed as their king. Several names were considered including Napoleon's stepson, Prince Eugene. But the Swedes required that any king would have to convert to Lutheranism. Prince Eugene was a staunch Catholic and refused. The Swedes next considered one of Napoleon's brothers, but none of them was interested in the Swedish throne. The Swedish Colonel Dorner raised his hand and recommended Bernadotte. Many Swedish soldiers had a positive opinion of the marshal, and several Swedish merchants had kind things to say about his management of the cities in Northern Europe. Before accepting this incredible opportunity, Napoleon asked him to never take up arms against France. Bernadotte refused to make any such agreement upon the grounds that his obligations to Sweden would not permit it. Napoleon nodded curtly, saying, quote, Go and let our destinies soon be accomplished, end quote. The two men would never meet again. In November 1810, Bernadotte arrived in the capital of Stockholm as crown prince of Sweden. He quickly became the most popular man in Sweden 
and impressed the royal court with his gentlemanly manners. Bernadotte took on the name Charles John, his adopted name given by King Charles XIII. As well as things were going for Bernadotte, his wife Desiree wasn't enthused about the big move to Sweden. She missed the friends, shopping, and gossip of Paris, and never really warmed up to the country. It was rumored she had a look at an atlas to figure out where Sweden was. She was also shocked by the cold climate and hated the snow so much that she cried. Desiree left Sweden for France in 1811. When her friends asked her about the Swedish capital, she would snap, quote, Do not talk with me of Stockholm. I get cold as soon as I hear the word, end quote. She did not return to Sweden until 1823 when she accompanied her son's bride. She stayed there as queen for the remainder of her days and performed a lot of charity work. Desiree passed in 1860 at the age of 84. In January 1812, French troops invaded Swedish Pomerania, which is a small strip of land near Denmark. Napoleon, before marching in the invasion of Russia, had to secure his rear flank. The paranoid Bernadotte believed that Napoleon scheduled the occupation to occur on his birthday and had ordered his old rival, Marshal Debu, to execute the attack as a personal insult, adding another layer of intrigue. In response, Bernadotte allied with Russia and England against Napoleon. This was the beginning of the sixth coalition of countries allied against France. The previous five coalitions had all been defeated. After Napoleon's tremendous losses in Russia, the Allies moved in to attack his depleted forces. After setbacks and losses in the 1813 battles of Lutzen and Bautzen, the Allies needed a new strategy. Bernadotte recommended the famous Trockenberg Plan. This strategy recommended attacking the French whenever a marshal or a general was in command, and retreating whenever Napoleon was in command. The thinking was that Napoleon couldn't be everywhere at once, and the Allies could defeat the marshals in detail. The Prussians and Russians, with 160,000 troops, were indignant, saying, quote, Are we not good enough to beat Napoleon? End quote. To which Bernadotte simply said, Quote, no, end quote. The plan worked at Grossburen and Denowitz, where Bernadotte and his Prussian allies defeated the corps of Marshal Oudinot and Ney, respectively. It also worked at the Battle of Katzbach, where Marshal MacDonald was defeated by the Prussians under Blücher. Eventually, Napoleon's forces were weakened enough where the Allies could go all in on a confrontation with the emperor himself. In the huge 1813 Battle of Nations at Leipzig, Napoleon was surrounded and lost a large part of his army. Although Bernadotte and his troops were late getting to the battlefield, his arrival helped clinch the victory. A Russian advisor noted Bernadotte's performance at Leipzig saying, quote, he looks superb, 
in the middle of the firing, surrounded by dead and wounded, and encouraging by his presence. End quote. In addition, his arrival induced Napoleon's Saxon allies to switch sides in the middle of the battle and join their old commander, Bernadotte. After Napoleon's retreat into France, Bernadotte's delusions of grandeur got the better of him. Thinking the French would welcome him as a returning conquering hero, and maybe even successor to the French throne, Bernadotte moved his troops slowly in the assault on France. He knew that every drop of French blood spilled would lessen his chance of securing the throne of France. But he also knew that a Swedish loss in battle might cost him his current title as Crown Prince of Sweden. This sloth annoyed his Austrian and Prussian allies. After Napoleon abdicated in April of 1814, the Austrians and British nixed the idea of putting Bernadotte on the French throne and instead reinstalled the Bourbon rulers under King Louis XVIII. Bernadotte spent some time in Paris after Napoleon's fall, meeting with Marshals Ney, Augereau, and Marmont, but he was received with a cold shoulder from many Parisians, including the wife of Marshal Lefebvre, who told him she didn't allow traitors in her house. Bernadotte returned to Sweden and by diplomacy acquired Norway into his kingdom. In 1818, he ascended to the throne after the death of King Charles XIII. He ruled in a benevolent style, but occasionally reverted back to his warlord rhetoric. When a student revolt against his policies upset him, Bernadotte raged that the gutters would flow with blood if they continued. To which Desiree chimed in, quote, Oh, stop it, Bernadotte. You, who do not even have the heart to wring the neck of a cat. End quote. In 1830, his popularity waned a bit as he was criticized more frequently by the press. Bernadotte became increasingly withdrawn, especially towards the final stages of his 26 year reign, but wisely kept Sweden out of any wars during that time. This stability helped Sweden's economy grow steadily. His French battle record was an impressive 13 wins against only three losses. On his deathbed, he was heard saying, quote, Nobody has had a career in life like mine. I could perhaps have been able to agree to become Napoleon's ally, but when he attacked the country that had placed its fate in my hands, he could find in me no other than an opponent. The events that shook Europe and that gave her back her freedom are known. It is also known which part I played in that. End quote. Bernadotte passed on March 8, 1844, in the Royal Palace of Stockholm. Allegedly, as his body was prepared for burial, it was discovered that he had a tattoo which read, quote, Death to kings, end quote. Oddly enough, he was the only one of Napoleon's marshals to die as a king, a title they all wanted. And another twist of irony, Bernadotte's successor was his son, Oscar, who married the daughter of Prince Eugene. 
The irony was that Desiree's son married the granddaughter of Empress Josephine, who was Desiree's rival in a way for the love of Napoleon. Another interesting statement that came from Bernadotte occurred during Napoleon's burial in France in 1840. Quote, You may say of me that I, who was once a marshal of France, am now only a king of Sweden. End quote. I believe this speaks to the legendary fame and power of the marshals of France. Be that as it may, Bernadotte and his descendants have ruled Sweden for over 200 years up to this current day. I believe we will end on this point. Join us next time when we learn about one of Napoleon's most despised men, Marshal Victor. Thanks for listening.